Brandon, come and speak to us, please. Thanks, Mark. I've been excited about this series since he first uh, mentioned the idea of it to me. Uh, bumper sticker theology. Anything with theology in the title is going to get me excited. And so, uh, and this one uh, is, is close to my heart as well. If you, if you haven't been here for the first two weeks of the series, I just want to catch you up. Week one, we, we thought about honk if you love Jesus. And, uh, and Pastor Mark's whole kind of thrust with this series is that we not be just trite and shallow and little soundbite bumper sticker theology. And when we're thinking about our Jesus and what he means and who he is, that just a little honk if you love Jesus just seems to fall short of that. And then in week two, last week, we, we looked at the coexist bumper sticker, which has always fascinated me, and I'm interested in religions, and all these symbols um, represent different worldviews, and, uh, and we kind of looked at you know, whether those are all equal, and how can that be if Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me, and, and, you know, and, and I, I had a thought in relation to all that too, that you know, we're, as Christians, we're called to do more than just coexist, even with our neighboring religious traditions. Like I can coexist with Greg, and he can exist over there, and I can exist right here, and we just kind of tolerate each other, right? But we're called to engage and to relate to one another in redemptive ways, and that's, uh, that's the Lord's will. And so this week, um, I don't know that I've ever seen a bumper sticker with the phrasing that we settled on. Uh, but we decided to, to title this, uh, I, I Love Jesus But Hate Religion. And I, I, did, I went online and I Googled some bumper stickers and I found several that I think express a similar notion, okay, uh, to this idea. And this is one, Jesus, save me from your followers. I think uh, <laughs> that's kind of like, Jesus, I like you all right, but save me from all these crazy people that, that claim you. Uh, another one I've seen that says this, Jesus called, he wants his religion back. I'm pretty sure Mark Cummings had that one on his truck at some point, and uh, I like this one. I've got nothing against God. It's his fan club I can't stand. So that's like saying, I like Jesus, I like God, but I'm not so sure about the church. I'm not so sure about those religious people. And, uh, and then this idea here that kind of puts relationship and religion in you know, opposing terms. Jesus is a relationship, not a religion and this one's kind of odd underneath it in small print. It says, Christianity is a religion based on a Jesus relationship. And I'm not sure exactly what all that's supposed to be expressing. Uh, but even, even Gandhi, who, of course, was not a Christian, but he, he expressed a similar idea in a famous quote that maybe you've heard before. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. And that should be convicting to us. There, there is a, 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 a trend in our culture uh, that makes it really challenging in ministry um, and yet exciting because um, we've, we've kind of shifted into a, a post-Christian environment where Christianity isn't kind of the, the dominant cultural influence anymore. People aren't as biblically literate as they once were. They don't know the stories from the Bible like they, they maybe did in previous generations. They, they have different views about God. And yet, in spite of that, they're very open to Jesus and who Jesus is and, and with that comes this kind of wrestling and this kind of tension between, um, between Jesus and religion or between Jesus and the church. And, uh, and, and I want to look at that today. This doesn't just happen from the outside looking in. This doesn't just happen because non-Christians or unchurched people um, 
see Jesus and what they know about him and they say, you know, I'm okay with that, but I'm not, I'm not so sure about the church. I'm not so sure about this religious stuff. This even kind of comes from within the church. And just in the last few weeks, there's been a video that's been uh, circulating on the internet. And probably many of you have seen it. Maybe some of you haven't. Uh, it's by a young guy named Jeff Bethke, and he's a poet and a spoken word artist. And he, um, he made a four-minute video, and I want to show you about a minute and a half of it. The, the title of his video is uh, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And I want this to kind of help focus our discussion for the rest of the time we have. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserved. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. He says some interesting things in that video, and it's really struck a chord with, with our culture. For those of you who, who uh, are, are kind of online and, and involved in Facebook and things like that, uh, you probably, how many of you saw this video, have seen this video in the last three weeks? So about maybe a, a quarter of you. Um, this video was viewed 1.2 million times in the first 24 hours it was on the internet. That means 14 people every second were clicking this video and watching it and sharing it with other people. In, in internet lingo, uh, there's a word for it. It went viral, and that means that we're spreading it from one person to the next to the next because people resonated with it. Something about it really struck a chord. Now, um, some people really loved it, and there was a lot of discussion about the video. And while the, the idea that I love Jesus but I hate religion is, is kind of trite, soundbite theology. A lot of the discussion that this video prompted was not. It was very robust and very kind of interesting conversation, and some people really loved it, and some people uh, kind of had some issues with it, and I was one of those people that had some issues with it, and a lot of people were like, why? I thought you'd really dig this, Brandon. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons that I struggled with it is that I thought, you know, he's not talking about religion. He's talking about legalism. He's talking about false religion. He's talking about works-based righteousness. Um, but I, I, I dare say that if he'd substituted the word legalism for religion in the video, it probably wouldn't have provoked the kind of response that it did. Um, but it, it got me thinking about what, what is religion and, and what should our attitude be toward it? What was Jesus' attitude towards religion? What does the Bible say about religion? Does this, does this capture the attitude that, that we should have when he says Jesus and religion are opposite spectrums, that they're two different clans, when he says, I, I hate religion and I resent religion? Is that really an appropriate attitude for us as, as the church, especially when, by and large, our culture would say religion, church, kind of same thing, institutional religion, 
the, the church being kind of synonymous terms. So um, as we turn to God's word, it's interesting that religion uh, as such, the word religion is, doesn't have a real prominent place in the New Testament. It's only used uh, four times. The Greek word is threskia, and it only appears four times in the New Testament. Three times it's translated religion, and once it's translated worship. And it's, and it's very neutral. And what the word means is our outward, the outward forms of our religion, okay? Our religious worship, our practices, our disciplines. Um, and in that sense, I think we have to clearly say and conclude that Jesus was a faithful practitioner of his religion. He was a religious person. He was a faithful Jew. He prayed. He fasted. He went to the temple and to the synagogue. Um, and, and there seems to be no real tension if we take the New Testament witness seriously uh, between Jesus and religion in this sense. They're not contradictory terms. Um, Jesus was religious. And, and in fact, um, Jesus says... Uh, in Matthew 5, do we have that scripture, Karen? On Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, and what he means by that is the religion, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we probably need much more time than we have right now to kind of unpack what that means, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, but this is what I want to share with you today. Um, in the Jewish system of religion, they had hundreds and hundreds of laws by which our righteousness was proven and, and evidenced. And um, you've heard of the Pharisees, right? I think in some ways, uh, and, I, and that, that term came up several times as I watched some of the dialogue about this this video, uh, well, he's talking about Pharisaical religion. Well, you know, we kind of give the Pharisees a bad rap a lot of times because um, we equate them with that kind of legalistic form of religion. But as I was thinking about this, I was trying to consider the Pharisees in their own context. And it hit me that the Pharisees are kind of a little bit like Nazarenes. <laughs> because, and I mean, I really don't mean that in a negative way. They were people that believed God has given us this law and we're to live by it and to be righteous. And, and our faithfulness to God should be evident in how we live our lives. And we're from a holiness tradition. And what that means is that we believe that. We believe that a, a, a real relationship with God and a faithfulness to him will make a difference in how we live our lives. It'll affect our morals and our ethics and the way we talk and what we do. And, and, and that's what the Pharisees believed. And, and so we, you know, before we kind of write them off, we should understand that like, there's nothing wrong with that, in, inherently wrong with that. The problem and the reason that they get a bad rap is because they were so in love with their legal code and their religion that they missed the whole point of what Jesus was about. You see, the, the law... Paul tells us, and I'm going to kind of fly through this and just summarize, but Paul tells us basically, if you want to live according to the law, have at it. Have fun. Good luck. Uh, if you can keep all those laws, that's great. But there's another alternative. Because, see, God has accepted Jesus' righteousness on behalf of my righteousness. And so instead of me having to live according to all these 600 Mosaic laws that I will never live up to because I'm a sinner, because I'll fail, because I'll fall short. Jesus says, ex Jesus, perfect example of his life, God has accepted on behalf of us. And so we place our faith in him 
and we receive the acceptance of God. And in, uh, is it Romans 10, Karen? Yes, Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In Romans 8, just a few verses before, uh, Paul writes this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of, the sin, of sin and death. Stop right there. That, that's the contrast, okay? That's the tension. It's not between religion and relationship, or even between law and love. It's between two different kinds of law. It's between the law that Paul calls the law of sin and death. That's the old law. That's the, if you do all of these things, you'll be counted as righteous. And the law of life in the Spirit. And it's as though the whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose that God gave us the law, it seems to me when we take, take the New Testament seriously, is to get us to a point where we just realize that we can't do it. What does verse 3 say? For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. The tension is between the old law and the new law the law of sin and death, because that's where it leaves us. When we try to check off all the boxes and follow all the 600 purity laws, <laughs> it's going to leave us in a point where we just have to admit our sin, and our only hope and our only fate and future is death under that law. But in Christ, we have the possibility of life in the Spirit. The whole purpose of the law that Christ came to fulfill is to leave us at a point where we can say with Charles Wesley, one of our great hymn writers, let the world their virtue boast, their works of righteousness, but I, a wretch, undone and lost, am freely saved by grace. Other title I disdain, this, only this, is all my plea, that I, the chief of sinners, am, but Jesus died for me. The purpose of the law was to get us to that place of giving up, of surrender, of hearts abandoned in awe of the one who stood in for us, who took our place, whose righteousness God accepted so that we don't have to be like every other religion where we have to bow and scrape before God to try to appease him through our sacrifices and through our good works. But somehow this new life in the spirit is sufficient and God loves us and God accepts us because of Christ. And this is the beginning of a new religion and a new understanding of religion. It's not the abolition of religion. Um, the first statement in Jeff's video that I didn't show you actually is he says, what if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? Well, I think he's wrong right there at the beginning. Jesus didn't come to abolish religion. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And, he, and when he said it is finished, his new religion that we named after him, Christianity, had just begun. And so we now uh, are, are called to practice a new way of life that's life in the spirit, not life according to the law. There's another understanding of religion that I want to uh, kind of introduce to you before I wrap up. And um, I like words, and I kind of like to sometimes study a word based on its etymology. Do you guys know what that is? You guys know etymologies? Etymology is like where the word came from. 
I'm not, I thought the teens might know this from English class. I didn't expect everybody else to remember. Does it, okay, does anybody know what this is? This is my saxophone mouthpiece. Does anybody know what this thing is called right here? Anybody? I heard it. A ligature. This is called a ligature. And the reason it's called a ligature is because it holds my reed onto my mouthpiece. It, it fastens it together so that I can make a sound with my mouthpiece. The, the, the word ligature and the ligio or ligio part of the word religion come from the same root, and it means to bind together. It means to fasten or to tie together. It's, it's also the same place where we get the word ligament, the things that hold all our bones together. Those are important, right? And, um, and I think in some ways one of the best understandings we can have of religion is it's those things that bind us together, that take us from being just a collection of individuals who all kind of have our own little relationships with God to being a body. And those are things that we're celebrating today. We've done it at the table. We're going to do it in baptism. We've done it through worship and through prayer. Those practices are our, are, are our religion. They're our outward form of our religion, the form that our faith takes. And those are good things, and we shouldn't be critical or dismissive of them. Uh, Jesus did not have disdain for those things about his Jewish faith, and we should not have disdain for those things about our Christian faith. Um, but our, our religion, it's, it's those stories and those practices, those things that make us who we are as a people and that bind us together um, so that we can be Christ's body in the world. Um, Scripture tells us that, that the church is the, is the bride of Christ. That's another image that we have for the church. And uh, I don't know about you, but in my book, you can't be my friend if you hate my wife. And I don't know how anyone could hate Gloria anyway. Um, if anything, it would probably be the other way around. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I would be the... Uh, and she might feel differently about that. But, you know, in my book, um, you, you, you can't love me and hate my bride, and I think you, you can't love Jesus and have disdain for his church. Um, the church is not the building. The church is us. The church is the, the body, and, and it's bound together by these, these religious practices that make us who we are, but most importantly, it's bound together by the spirit that he sent us. It's bound together uh, by the spirit that, that animated the life of Christ, and uh, I'll never forget uh, a Nazarene evangelist, Stephen Manley. Who'll be, who, when will he be with us, Mark? April? In May, this spring. And you won't want to miss this, but Stephen Manley is a great preacher and a great evangelist. And he was here in, in the spring of 2008, right after I came on staff here. And I'll never forget what he said. Um, and I think it's really pertinent to this whole idea of the tension between the, the law of death and the law, the law of, the, of the spirit, life in the spirit. Stephen Manley said this. He said, Jesus doesn't want you to live your life for him. If you stopped right there, you might say, what? That's what I've heard my whole life. I'm supposed to live my life for Jesus. But Stephen Manley said, Jesus doesn't want you to live your life for him. He wants to live his life through you. That means that the same spirit that animated the life of Jesus is what animates us under this new law of life in the spirit. And, and, and that's the thing, that shared experience and, and that thing that, that makes us the church and makes us his body, makes us his family, um, that's our religion. That's the true religion um, that, that, that the Father desires. Um, Karen, I want to end with the Romans 8 passage. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to move into a time of baptism where we really symbolize and embody uh, exactly 
uh, what I've been talking about and what I think the Lord, um, the Lord celebrates, uh, celebrates this. In Romans 8, Paul, Paul writes to the Romans, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so as members of our local body come and they're, they're submitting themselves to being baptized into the death and the resurrection of Christ, raised to new life, this is part of what makes us the body of Christ as well. This is part of our religion and part that we should celebrate and be thankful for uh, as we remember our own baptisms and celebrate the baptisms of those uh, who will, who will uh, be a part of that today. Let me pray for us as we continue our worship. Father, thank you for your family and thank you for the church and thank you for the truth of your word and the witness of, of your son, Jesus, um, that came that we may have life and uh, no longer... The, the death and, and the guilt that came from the law, but now new life in the spirit that he's made possible for everyone. Thank you for adopting us through his faithfulness and his righteousness into your family that we may be uh, your heirs and co-heirs, adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus in the family of God. We thank you for this and we praise you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.